Let's pray. Father God, I thank you. I thank you for everything that you've done in our lives. Lord, I thank you for while we were still sinners, you came and saved us. Lord, I thank you for the love that you've poured out on us, for the grace that you've given us. Lord, I thank you for all the plans and purposes you have. And Lord, I thank you that you care so much about me. And I just say in the name of Jesus, let every dark thought, let every device of the enemy in the name of Jesus, be rebuked from this place. And we release the life of heaven. We release the glory of God. Holy Spirit, come and talk to us. Holy Spirit, come and fill this place. God, we want you here. We want to meet with you this morning. We love your presence. It's all about you. It's all about your goodness. It's all about your love. It's all about you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. Amen, amen. Well, good morning. We're on our extravagant, extravagant, if I can get it right, extravagant lovers of God series. Um, but we do realize that an extravagant lover of God, if we're going to be an extravagant lover of God, it doesn't come from us. You see, Jesus loved us when we were still sinners. Jesus went to the cross and, and showed how extravagant he is at love before we even knew him or while we still hated him. We are extravagant lovers of God because first of all, he was an extravagant lover of us. That is the gospel. And then he says, and if you, if you believe in me, I will put my love inside of you and you will become an extravagant lover because I am an extravagant lover. We are being transformed into the very image of Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says. That means you will become an extravagant lover of God and you'll become an extravagant lover of other people. That is the gospel. That's the Bible. The whole thing is God loved the world so much that he gave. God so loved the world so much that he gave. That's still true today. That will still be true tomorrow. And it'll be still true in 2,000, a million years' time. God so loved you that he gave you everything that he could possibly give, even his son on a cross. We are extravagant lovers because he loved us first. But I want to move it slightly to a, a, a different uh, slant this morning. I want to talk about being an extravagant, brilliant, well done, extravagant worshippers of God. Because an extravagant lover is an extravagant worshipper. It's the same thing. Now, in the Old Testament, worship was quite simple. As in, there was all these rules laid out, and what you had to do with worship, well, you had to go to the temple, and there was an altar there at the temple, and you had to sacrifice calves and grain and money. Basically, it was, I, I go to the altar with something, and I give it. Or to put it another way, I go to the, to the altar at the temple, and I sacrifice. I give of myself to my king, to my God. But there is no temple in the New Testament. There's no place that we go to. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the temple of God. So what does worship look like in the New Testament? This is a bit worried. There we go. What does worship look like in the New Testament? Well, Paul says it like this. This is your spiritual act of worship. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Worship involves sacrifice. 
Now, I said there was no temple, but I kind of lied. We are all the temple of the Holy Spirit. That means wherever the temple is, there is sacrifice. That means wherever you go, there should be sacrifice. And fire always falls on sacrifice. The glory of God falls on sacrifice. So if you want the glory of God in your workplace or in your home, you pour out your life to God and his glory comes. Because God responds to sacrifice. He he responds to a life poured out. Colossians 3.23 says this, Work willingly at whatever you do as though you are working for the Lord rather than for people. Or as the Message Bible puts it, Work from your heart for the real master. In whatever you do, you're supposed to do it unto the Lord. So when you go to the office on Monday morning, you're supposed to work unto the Lord. Forget your proper master. I mean, your, your, your master in, in this world, the actual context of that was slavery. We're talking about a slave master. And I'm sure, well, I hope you're not slaves to your, your master at work. But whatever you do, do it as unto God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Raising your kids, doing it as unto God is a spiritual act of worship. Being nice to your neighbor is a spiritual act of worship. Doing your homework is a spiritual act of worship. Cleaning around the, around the house, which fortunately my wife does, gets there before I do, so I, I never get a chance to, is a spiritual act of worship. Whatever you do, do it unto God. Then your whole life is a spiritual act of worship. And over your whole life, the glory of God can fall. You see, we should be the best employees. We should be the best family members. We should be the best neighbors. Wherever we are, we should be the best. Why? Because in whatever we do, we're doing it unto God. That is your spiritual act of worship. Now, I remember when my daughter Anna was was first born. And uh, I found it very exciting, really. I mean, I didn't have to do the childbirth thing. I mean, my hands hurt a bit from the birthing procedure, but, you know, I could get past that. Um, Okay, I'll carry on. But what I was really excited about, and you may not believe it, but the first time I went to bed and I heard her cry, I was like, yeah, come on, I'm, uh, Leslie will probably disagree with, with me, but I was there, yeah, I'm going to go to the crib, I'm going to see my daughter. I found it all very exciting. I love staying up late with her, I love doing all these things for my daughter. But then as the days and the weeks and possibly the months rolled by, the excitement of getting out of bed <laughs> to go and see for a crying daughter kind of wore off a bit. And, you know, you're there lying in bed and uh, you hear the cry of your daughter and you pretend still to be asleep, hoping <laughs> that your spouse will, will hear it first and, and, and she's probably still sleeping in bed, hoping that you're going to be the one who cracks first to go and see to your child. But I, and, and I had those thoughts. I do, do admit, I did have those thoughts. But I never had this thought. I don't think it'd be right for me to get up and see to my daughter because, do you know what? It's late. I'm tired. I don't feel like it. I think I'd be a hypocrite if I got up right now and went to go and see to my daughter because, well, I'm not really loving, aren't I? I've got to do it out of love, so now I better not do it. None of us would see that as a valid argument, would we? But we use it as a valid argument in the world the whole time. So your worship isn't necessarily because you feel like doing it. Your worship is not necessarily because you want to do it. You worship is because you love the person you're serving. 
whether it's God or someone else, you love the person you're serving. So Jesus demonstrated this this when he came to the earth. In Philippians 2, it says this. He poured out his life for us. Took the very nature of a servant. And then, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Do not think for one moment that Jesus wanted to get on that cross. Do not think for one moment that Jesus wanted to be ridiculed, humiliated, and put on that cross. He was there in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating blood, asking God, Father, please take this away from me. If there's any other way, I really do not want to do this. But he willingly went to the cross because of the joy set before him. Worship doesn't always, isn't always about what we want to do. Sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. But for the joy set before you, we endure it. Do you know how to get results at the gym? I probably need to tell myself. Do you know how to get the job, results at the gym? Have your eyes fixed on the goal. So if you're trying to beat a time for a 5K, forget how much it hurts, forget how much you, you want to just stop and go back to the change room or whatever else you're doing. Focus on what it would be like if you beat that goal. Or if you're doing weights, what would it be like? Or, or the ideal body that you want. Once you focus on that goal, the training becomes easier. When you do it because of the goal set before you. Worship involves sacrifice. Worship involves giving. And God loves a cheerful giver even when you don't like it. But what I really want to talk about today is what we would normally call the worship service or the worship experience. Whatever you do in life, it should be worship. But we've got this, um, sometimes we misuse the word, but we all know what we mean when we say, oh, let's worship now, when we get the band up and we start singing and we start maybe clapping and praising God. I want to talk about what it means to be an extravagant worshipper in that setting. And to go, to talk on this subject, probably the most famous worshipper in the Bible, the go-to person is King David. He pioneered the worship experience with the Tabernacle of David. He pioneered what we do now, way in the Old Testament. He is known as a lover after God's own heart. He wrote so many of the Psalms. Go to any worship seminar, I'm sure at some point King David's going to come up because he's the idol in it. Is that the wrong word? I don't know. But anyway, we'll carry on. Um, but the impression of many men, or some women, I don't want you know, to be sexist here, um, is that worship service or worship regard is a bit, you know, wet. It's not really manly. You know, give me a hammer, I'll go and make something, but don't ask me to sing a song or maybe prance around stage a bit as a ballerina or something. Or put a, you know, it's, it's like you ask someone to worship and it's like, oh, they're going to put a ballerina tutu on me or something. <laughs> there is that impression that singing and, and dancing and, and going mental for God or praising God is, well, a bit girly or a bit feminine. But David... The go-to man for praise and worship, I'm telling you, was no wimp. He was no wimp. No wimp whatsoever. He, he goes and finds the Philistine army up against his own army, the Israel army, just as a shepherd boy with this massive guy, Goliath, the best trained, best warrior of, of the Philistine army, well trained, fully armed, and he goes, do you know what? I'm going to take him down with my shepherd's tools. 
Songs were sung about David, about him slaying hundreds and hundreds and thousands of Philistines. God even said, I cannot let you build the temple, David, because your hands are covered in blood. Whatever you think about David, you cannot say he was a wimp. He was a warrior. He was known more for being a warrior in Bible times than he was for being a worshipper. Songs were sung about him being a warrior, not about him being a worshipper. But I would put it like this. To be an extravagant worshipper, you also need to be an extravagant warrior. See, in Old Testament times, praise and worship was not separated from battles. In fact, it was the praise and worship team which would go out in front of the army. And it's not just Bible stuff which does that. You know, you have armies um, in, by, in, in years gone by and they'd have bagpipes leading them out or drummers leading them out or pipers going out. There is something about musicians and singing and making a noise like that which, which is in hand in hand with battle, with combat. You cannot separate them. Do you know that one of the ways that you show someone how much you love them is how much you're willing to fight for them? Think of a mother fighting for her children. I will get my kid into that school. Or that, or that boy fighting for that girl to marry her. He, she will be mine. I'm going to do everything possible together. You show how much you love someone by how much you're willing to fight for them. I love God so much, I love his nature so much, I'm going to fight for his love to be expressed on this earth. Because I love God, I love what he loves. Because I love God, I love what he loves. And he has these whole people called the children of God, and, so, and he loves them so much that he died for them, so I guess I better love them too. And I better fight for them. Praise and worship went hand in hand with fighting. So when we come to a Sunday morning experience that we just had this morning, this morning a Sunday worship service I see what we're doing very much like a video my first video please this is how I see it and I've seen it already this morning for presenting yourselves on this battlefield I give you thanks this is our army to join it you give homage I give homage to Scotland and if this is your army, why does it go? We didn't come here to fight for them. Oh, the English are too many. Sons of Scotland, I am William Wallace. William Wallace is seven feet tall. Yes, I've heard. He kills men by the hundred. And if he were here, he'd consume the English with fireballs from his eyes. <laughs> I am William Wallace. And I see a whole army of my countrymen here in defiance of tyranny. You've come to fight as free men. Three men you are. What will you do without freedom? Will you fight? Fight against that? No! 
fight and you may die. Run, and you'll live. At least a while. I'm dying in your beds many years from now. Would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance, to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom! see a Sunday morning. I don't know what you're looking at, that's what I'm looking at. And we've already had Mel Gibson up here this morning. We've had Stuart being Mel Gibson, we've had James being Mel Gibson, we've had Mark being Mel Gibson. You don't believe me? I'm going to be Mel Gibson now. What did Mel Gibson say? Yes, fight and you may die, run and you will live at least a while, and dying in your bed many years from now, you, will you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance to come back here as a young man and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they will never take our freedom? That's quite a good war cry, but, but let me put it slightly differently and you'll see what I'm getting at. We are able to go right into the throne room of God. That's what God says. We can go right in front of God's presence through the blood of the Lamb, through, through the Holy Spirit. And I don't know about you this morning, but, but God is so good. God is so amazing. I would rather be there in front of God, praising him with all my heart and all my soul and all my strength. I just love being, being there right in front of God this morning, but it's better than a thousand days elsewhere. Because one day in his court is better than a thousand elsewhere. Now, how is that not the same about what Mel Gibson was saying? Yeah. Well, maybe he was actually telling people to kill people, and we're not actually <laughs> telling you to do that this morning. Because our fight, our war, which we are in this morning, it's not against flesh and blood. It's not against flesh and blood. Don't, don't misunderstand me this morning. Uh, the weapons we fight with, they're not guns, they're not bombs, they're not swords, they're not physical. You don't hold them. They are our words, they are our worship, they are our praise. And what are they really good at? They're really good at destroying fortresses, strongholds. We are destroying, and it's we we are destroying every speculation and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That is what we're doing this morning. That's what we were doing in the worship. That is it. Got to get this clear. So here's Matt. And Matt at the moment doesn't like God that much. In actual fact, he keeps telling me how much he hates God. Now, of course, that's not real. You know that, don't you? What's my position as a Christian? What would Jesus do? I'll tell you what Jesus would do. He would pour out his life so that he could win Matt back to God. He doesn't want to destroy Matt. He wants to empower Matt. He wants Matt to have life. We are here giving life. 
That's what we're doing this morning. We are giving life. We want to see healing where there's sickness. We want to see those people who are locked in addiction set free. That is the fight we're fighting this morning. It's about pouring our lives out. It's worship. It's worship. So who are we fighting? Thoughts? Demons? Yeah, they're about. But the most way you see them is, I've got a bad thought. It's not flesh, it's not physical. Who is worship for? Well, worship is always, we focus it at God. We don't worship ourselves. We don't worship other people. We don't worship the band because they're amazing. We worship God. But who is it for? Well, David said this. I praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. Who is David talking to? He's talking to himself. What am I doing on a Sunday morning when I'm down here at the front? I'm often talking to myself to start with. I'm saying, come on, get on with it. Come on, praise the Lord. You'll feel better. You'll feel better. The whole world will seem a lot better once you start praising the Lord. The first thing we do is we, is we talk to ourselves if we don't want to worship, if we don't want to praise. The next thing we do is we start encouraging other people around us. How great is our God? Sing with me. Sing with me. When you're worshipping, when you're worshipping and praising worship, it's not just about you, it's about your neighbour. It's about the person next to you. It's the person along the end of the row for you. We're supposed to be encouraging one another. You see, God is not in bed on a Sunday morning <laughs> thinking, oh, do you know what? I had such a bad day yesterday. I've got a bit of a headache this morning and I've got so much to do you know what, I, I just can't be honest. If only someone would praise and worship me somewhere, maybe I could get myself out of bed. God doesn't need our praise. God doesn't need our worship. We need to worship him. Why? Because it's good for us and it's good for the world. It's all about him, but it's all about you, all in the same, the same go. Now I want to talk just want to show you a picture of the New Zealand rugby team. Now, for those who watch rugby, this is called the hacker. And before every match, they kind of do a dance, chant, sing, shout, clap, but they kind of like do this. What are they doing? They're stirring themselves up for battle. And then if I stir myself up, the person next to me is going to be stood up for battle too, because this is a team. We need to do this together. They are also doing something else. You see, the opposition is watching. They are also changing the atmosphere in that place. This is highly spiritual. The reason I haven't played this this morning is because I know some people would take offense because it's highly spiritual and not God spiritual. They are changing the atmosphere. They are praising themselves. And they're making the chance of winning so much more. But you see, when we praise and worship God, it's not just for me. 
It's not just for James and not just for the person next to me, but we change the spiritual atmosphere in this place. We change the spiritual atmosphere in this world, in this school. We are taking ground when we are praising and worshiping God. It's not just singing songs. It's warfare. It's not just singing songs or clapping. It's declaring war on the enemy. It's declaring war on cancer. It's declaring war on sin. It's declaring war on on the devil taking people away into hell. It is declaring war of saying we're going to bring the light of the gospel in into this place and into this country. It is powerful. So powerful. I could show you, go through Bible verses and, and show how worship is all about shouting and raising hands and clapping and stamping and dancing and singing. And I could go through all the scriptures which tell you how loud heaven is going to be. Deafening loud. Deafening loud. But instead... I want to show you this next video as an example of what does extravagant worship look like. extravagant praise that is extravagant worship what they're doing they're raising their arms it's just natural what does the bible say raise your arms they're clapping it's natural do you remember iceland in the world cup for those who followed it and their clap i wonder if if part of iceland's success who, who went way beyond what they should have done was part of that clap was partly due to that clap who knows but they are extravagant They have seen their team on their pitch and when their team is not doing well, guess what? They're going to sing and shout anyway. Why? Because they're willing their team on. Yet We have this thing called a home advantage or some people call it the 12th man. What's the 12th man? It's the crowd. It's the crowd willing their team on. They say it's worth an extra person on the pitch and that's just in the natural. When we're doing it, we're talking about supernatural as well as natural things going on. Bill Shankly said this, some people believe football is a matter of life and death. He's a a famous um, footballer to do with Liverpool. I am very disappointed with that attitude. 
I can assure you it is much, much more important than that. And as you can see by the fans, they think it's that important. But let me tell you this morning, we are dealing with something which is much more important than football. We are dealing with something this morning which is much more important than the short life we have on this life. We are dealing with eternity. We, we are dealing with where people will spend their lives for eternity this morning. It is so important, our praise and worship. It is so important to change the spiritual atmosphere. And what we do is powerful. What we do is effective. If you've got a Bible, please turn to Ephesians 6. I'm going to... Oh, before that, I'll do something else. So you, can, you can take a rain check on that Ephesians 6 if you want to. There's a word we use in praise, and it's called hallelujah. And we use it lots, and we sing songs like hallelujah, hallelujah. What that word means is I've got so much praise caught up inside of me, but I cannot contain myself anymore. It's just got to burst out. That's what the word hallelujah means when we sing hallelujah. I've just got so much bursting out of me. I can't contain the praise. Values within me. It doesn't make sense. Now, I understand we, don't, this is, we just interpret it as praise the Lord, but that's what hallelujah means. And that hallelujah or hallelujah <laughs> is not a hallelujah. I'll show you what a hallelujah looks like. You've probably seen it. So I'm there watching a football game or a rugby game or wherever it is. And my team, it's an important game. My team are doing well. They're getting near the goal. And suddenly, oh, they're getting there. They're getting there. And suddenly it starts. You know, you, you see, I'm sure you've seen it with, with your dad or with someone else. Or, or you've seen it down the pub whenever there's an there's, there's there's a important game going on. And they're up and they're down. And then they're up and down. And they're come on, come on, come on. Yes! That is a hallelujah. When you can no longer contain it anymore, that is a hallelujah. Who's got a hallelujah in them this morning? We see it in the world. We just decide that when we come to church, we better be prim and proper. No. No, what the world does, we should do twice as much because it's not about football. It's about eternal life. So now turn to Ephesians 6. I just want to do that first. The other one which gets me as well is the word holy. So in, in the Greek, when they, when they wrote the Bible in the Greek, they, they didn't have punctuation. They didn't have full stops and commas and things like that. So when they wanted to emphasize a word, they'd say it twice. So Jesus didn't go around the place saying verily, verily. A, because that's English and he probably didn't speak English. And secondly, he was just saying, listen, this is important. They didn't repeat words because words cost money. So in, when we see those songs which say holy, 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 two holies is holy with an exclamation mark. Three holies is holy with as many exclamation marks as you can get on, on the page. So what's happening in the throne room of heaven is God shows some of his character and, and the elders and the, and the creatures around the throne are just going, Wow! Or to put it in biblical language, holy! Yeah, yeah. 
They're not going, holy, holy, holy. I love that song, by the way. I'm not saying you shouldn't sing that song. I'm just saying, understand, understand what's going on. So Ephesians 6, I told you I'll get there. I'm going to tell you a load of scriptures, and then I'm going to land in Ephesians 6. If you want to check those, those scriptures later, brilliant. Go and get the podcast, and you can check I'm not lying. All right? So at least one person, go and check I'm not lying. Um, Proverbs 18, verse 21 says, The tongue has the power of life and death. More important than anything else, well, I want the clapping or the shield bashing, but we haven't got shields, so we'll probably have to just deal with clapping, um, is your voice. How was the world cre- created? God spoke. There is a amount, amazing creative power in the voice. In Revelation 19.15, there's a picture of Jesus, and out of his mouth is coming a sharp sword, and it's slaying his enemies. In Hebrews 4 verse 12, it says, The word of God is a living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. We understand that a sword is like a picture of the word of God. Jeremiah 1 verse 9 says, I, God says, I have put my words in your mouth, Jeremiah. In Isaiah, God says the same thing to Isaiah. I have put my words in your mouth, Isaiah. Those words which created the universe, I put those words in your mouth. It was Isaiah 49 verse 2 says this, He has made my mouth like a sharp sword. He's talking about revelation. He's talking about that amazing sword coming out of the mouth. So the word of God is like a sharp sword, and that's what Jesus uses to slay his enemies. And that's what we use. Reinhard Bonnke says something about seeing miracles and stuff. He said, when I realized that God's words in my mouth were just as powerful as God's words in his mouth, then the miracle started. God wants to put his words in your mouth. And they're powerful. Slightly different slide. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 8. The lawless one, the enemy, will be played, slain, my, my, I've got a typo there, slain by Jesus by the breath of his mouth. So we've got a picture of a sword coming out. And we've also got a picture of breath coming out of Jesus' mouth and slaying his enemies. Now we know that in the New Testament, breath and spirit are interchangeable. The Holy Spirit is the holy breath. Okay. John 3 verse 34 says this, He who God sends speaks the word of God for or because he has the spirit without measure. Or he has the breath without measure. So who God sends, he has the word of God and he also has the breath. They don't, you get them both. In Isaiah 59 verse 21 it says, God says, I'll put my spirit upon you and I have put my words in your mouth. Again, they're connected. The spirit and the word are linked. We always try and split them, but they're linked. It's like having petrol in a car. Now, if you haven't got enough money to put petrol in your car, you could sell your car to get the petrol, but then your car's, well, you haven't got a car to put your petrol in. You need both. Spirit and word, that's closely linked together. In John 16, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. And what does the Holy Spirit? He leads you into all truth. He tells you what God is saying. Holy Spirit reveals the word. The breath of God reveals the word. You'll see this in a minute. John 6, verse 63. The words, this is Jesus saying, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. As in, in them is the power of the breath, is the life from heaven itself, in the words that Jesus said. So turn with me to Ephesians 6. 
and verse 17. Take the helmet of salvation. I can have the worship team. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit or the sword of the breath. Catch this. Which is the word of God. The sword of the spirit or the sword of the breath is the word of God. When you were born, how, let's go back to Eden. How did God make man and give him life? He breathed into him. What happened when you became born again or born of heaven? God breathed into you. Within you is the very breath of God. You have the power of the breath of God within you. And the breath of God wants to get out of you through words in your mouth to speak healing, to speak blessing, to set the captives free, to redeem a lost and saved world. And what is Paul's response to this? So the spirit of the so Lord of the Spirit is the word of God. Verse 18. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me. Speak words that are given to me. What's he saying? Open your mouth and start praying. Don't you realise you have the sword of the Spirit? The sword which is in Jesus' mouth to slay his enemies is now in your mouth. It comes from within you and goes out of you. Do you know the power you have here this morning? If you have God, if you accepted God as your Saviour, you have the Holy Spirit within you. And when you speak, you can speak the very words of God. That's why tongues is so powerful. You're speaking the words of God with your breath. It's powerful. What's even more powerful is when you hear what what God is saying and then you speak it. It's like a two-edged sword or sharper than two-edged sword which will cut in and reveal truth into anyone who's around. You are all warriors this morning. You have the best weaponry. You have a best offensive weaponry to what? To bring life. To bring goodness. Not to bring death, to bring life. And you're all sat here this morning as worshippers. What's that mean? It means I sacrifice. It means sometimes I do things for the goal that I don't want to do. So sometimes I don't want to praise God. I do it anyway. Why? Because of the goal. Because I can set someone free here this morning. That's why when we've had worship times, people have just been worshiping God and suddenly, oh, my, my foot's healed. Oh, this problem has just disappeared. Oh, what's happened here? What's happened? That the heaven is coming into our reality. We're praising Him and it's as though heaven is opening the door and just flooding in because we... Praise, praise and worship just allows God to enter.